Relentless Church, we're so blessed, amen? amen? We're so blessed. Hope you felt that this morning. If you're new with us, we're so glad you're here. It is significant to us that you're here. The seat you're sitting in was prayed over this morning, um, and that is to ask God to meet you where you are. And as, as O'Neill mentioned, um, there are eight tags left on the Christmas tree. People that have been blessed have a deep desire with them to bless others. So that, what that means, if you're new with this, is that there's eight people in our community uh, that are in need that, that have not been taken off the tree. You take the tag, you go get the presents, you bring them back. You guys have done awesome at that. So if you've already done that, great. This isn't a guilt trip. It's just an opportunity uh, for these eight families that have not been taken. Now, if you do that, you need to bring the presents back um, this week. Because as also, as O'Neill mentioned, there's a wrapping party, right? You know what we, you know what I think of when I hear a wrapping party, right? Yo, I remember Marvin Gaye used to sing to me. He had me feeling like black was the thing to be. My man. I thought my son was going to run out of the room, but he gave me. You want more? You want more? You come Saturday morning. Come to the rapping party, and we'll just do nothing but rap. No, it's not that. Oh. Oh. It's a different kind of rapping, but it's going to be fun. That's Saturday morning. Anybody's welcome. I hope all of you either come help us rap or part of the angel tree. It's a beautiful thing, so check the tree on your way out if you want to get in on that. We're starting a brand new series today. We're super excited about it. We're glad you're here. Um, it's called Christmas for All, and all happens to include you. That's the beautiful thing about that word. It includes you and whatever you bring in the room. And we're going to talk specifically about doubt, all right, because there's a lot of doubt in our culture. There's a lot of doubt in this room, and that's okay, right? We're going to try to push back against this um, negativity towards doubt. Ne uh, doubt can be something um, that God uses. We're believing that. And I'm going to start with a, a story that has got some negativity towards doubt, but not really when you understand it, but it has nothing to do with Christmas. We'll get to that in a second. It's an event that happened in the life of Jesus. Um, anybody, maybe to an unhealthy extreme, really enjoy alone time? Like your favorite thing in the world is to be by yourself? Okay. All right. All right, some of that is from God, and you have something in common with Jesus. There's a night he'd been doing ministry all day. He was with these crazy dudes that he had picked, these disciples, and he said, y'all go across the lake. I'm going to go be by myself up on the mountain. The problem was that was the transportation. The only way to get from where they were going was by boat. So he said, y'all go on. And they had to be thinking, what about you? Don't worry about me. I'm Jesus. They went on across the lake. He went up and prayed. And then in the middle of the night, he walks on water. That's another song we could sing, Jesus Walks, but I won't mess with that. All right, so Jesus walking on the water, and it wasn't a trick. It wasn't a magic. He was supernaturally, because he created the water, he could walk across it. And, and uh, sometimes, and I used to be a youth pastor and love these conversations, teenagers ask the best questions. And someone asked me once, do you believe in ghosts? It's like, I don't know, but the disciples did. They saw this man walking across the water. Their initial reaction, look in Mark, uh, Matthew 14, if you don't believe me, their first reaction is, that must be a ghost. They believe in ghosts. They thought Jesus was a ghost. So then they, they're freaking out. So he comes closer and he simply says, guys, it's me. Take courage. Don't be scared. It's me walking on the water. At that moment, all these guys see their Jesus walking on the water. And at first they were scared. They realize it's Jesus. And then Peter's the only one that speaks up. When nobody else knew what to say, Peter always said something. Sometimes it was good. Sometimes it wasn't. But he said, Lord, if that's really you, tell me to come to you. Tell me to come walk with you. And Jesus said, come on, Peter. That's a great idea. Come on, Peter. So Peter, it says he climbs out of the boat, and he begins to walk on water. 
Not, he wasn't Jesus. He didn't have any tricks. He didn't have any trick, you know, shoes or anything. He was walking on water for a few steps. Then it says he noticed, probably noticed that he was walking on water. And the wind around him was in a storm. And he, he started to sink and drown. Jesus grabs him, pulls him up out of the water. And I want Jesus to hug Peter and say, Peter, all your friends didn't believe. Like, I love that you wanted to come walk on the water. I love that you asked. And when I said, come on, you weren't scared. I love that you came out in this. But instead, that's not what Jesus says. He takes Peter out of the water. He saves him. He says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? What an unfair question. Why did you doubt? I, I want to be an attorney for Peter here for a second. Why did you doubt? He doubted because he was walking on water. Right? He doubted because there was a storm going on. He's he's, he doubted because he's about to drown. In fact, I told you exactly what the scripture says, but let me, let me give you a little extra from me. I don't, it's, it's not in there, but what I think the conversation afterward was, he said, why did you doubt? And Peter doesn't answer, and they move on to the next thing. But I think Peter's answer was, why did I doubt? Because I was drowning, Lord. That's why I doubted. Because I, oh, 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 you ever been there where you can't? You're right? That's why. And I think Jesus then corrected him and said, no, don't rewrite history. You did, not, you did not doubt because you were drowning. That's not the order of things, right? You didn't drown and then doubt. You doubted first, then you started to drown, right? Our doubting sometimes leads to all kinds of things. Now, don't hear me say your doubting is why your life's messed up. That's not what God's saying. What we're saying is there is a value to our doubt. So if you've got more than anybody else in the room, a lot of you think you're that person. You're probably not, but if you do, Bring them. We were all about them. We're welcoming here, and we're going to look at them through the Christmas story. And you're saying, you know, the heart of Jesus is why he said, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? The heart was, Jesus was saying, what kind, of, what kind of Jesus do you think I am? What kind of Savior, what kind of Lord says, come on out here in the water, and then I'll watch you drown? Like, who does that? No, come on, you can do it. I know he can't do it. Watch this. Ah, and then say, no, it wasn't that. He was, he was like, you, you, you trusted me enough to say, can I come? And then you said, then you came out, but then you stopped trusting me. Like, you really think I'm going to call you to this point and then let you drown? That's not who I am. Now, if you're struggling with trusting God today, own it. That's okay. It really is. And we're going to see it in, in two key figures in the, what is called the Christmas story. We're a gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement of God. And the gospel and the Christmas story is the same thing. Right, so we're going to look at uh, Zechariah and Mary. They had this in common. An angel showed up to them both, and look at their, how they both reacted when an angel showed up. Zechariah was a priest, so he was like a pastor, and he was a big deal. He had gotten selected to do special things, and he was in the middle of doing uh, in the altar these special things. When we show up in Luke 1, verses 11, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, him as Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, the angel, he was startled, and he wasn't a little bit scared. He was gripped with fear, right? Think of that roller coaster. He is gripping, right? But the angel said to him, verse 13, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Now, we read that. We have no context. That's a big deal because we're going to find out in a second they're old. Secondly, we know from what he says, the angel says, they've been praying to have a kid, and it has not been answered. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear your son, and you're going to name him John. Then he went on to tell him a little bit about this, this baby that was going to come. He said, verse 14, the angel said, he will be a joy and delight to you, right? Is that how you describe your kids, parents? They're just a joy and a delight? He's going to be a joy and a delight, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. 
He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to what? To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So can you imagine if you're Zechariah just doing your priestly duties, an angel shows up and says, I know you're old, but you're going to have a baby, and this baby is going to lead the way for the promised Messiah. Like there's a lot packed in there for the Jewish mind that he knew what he was talking about. Here's Zechariah's response. If you got doubt, I want this to make you feel better. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, he's a smart man, because he's saying he's old, but he's not going to call his wife old. I'm an old man, but my wife is well along in years, right? She's not old, she's well along in years, but we're, how can, how can I be sure, right? He's asking the angel. Now, the easy answer, if I'm the angel, is like, how can you be sure? Well, I just told you, that's how you could be sure, but he's, He's doubting. How can I be? You just told me something crazy. How can I? And, and if you're a Christian in the room, don't run from crazy. We believe something crazy, right? We believe God showed up in a manger in the form of a baby and grew to be a man, died on a cross for our sins when we weren't even born yet, and then was the only human ever to walk out of a grave and defeat death. And he's coming back. Like, we, there's crazy packed into to our story, and that's Okay, well, when Zechariah, he's like, how can I be sure? Maybe that's a question you've been asking for a long time. I hope so. Let's look at Mary. It's a similar story. In the sixth month, we'll pick up in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so we know what happened. That, that's that's um, Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married. A virgin is someone who's not had sex, if you didn't know. If you have more questions about that, you can see Raf Gonzalez, our associate pastor. <laughs> Uh, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary's first reaction to an angel saying, You're highly favored, is she was greatly troubled, verse 29. She was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Why was she greatly troubled? Because I've never had an angel show up like that, but it's just a little shaky. And when he leads with, you're highly favored. What do, you, what do you mean by that, right? Sometimes, are you this person that, that somebody can give you like the best compliment and you walk away thinking, but what did they mean by that, right? She, she's like, well, I'm, I'm troubled. Like, what, 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 there's got to be, what is going on? So he continued, verse 30, the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're going to call him, you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Talk about a, and we all want great things for our kids. Angel says, your, your kid's going to be the son of the most high. And there's all kinds of Messiah. She knew that this was not, this is an eternal kingdom. And her reaction, see if there's a little doubt in here, verse 34. She says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Fair question, right? How am I going to have a kid when I'm a virgin? You could say that both Zechariah and Mary doubted, right? Is that a fair word? They both, he said, how can I be sure? His was very like, how can I be sure? Her question was simple. How is, how's this work? How's this going to be? And they both, in a way, questioned God. So if you're here today and you've questioned God, you're in good company, if you're here today and you've never questioned God, I don't know what kind of life you've been living, uh, but our doubts, the, the beauty is our doubts don't derail God's plan, right? We know, if you know the Christmas story, those 
how can this be? They didn't mess up anything, and your doubts haven't messed up anything either. The father of all nations known as Abraham, it's said of him that he didn't waver in his unbelief, that somehow even when we're doubting, we can have faith, that those things can coexist, right? And maybe, uh, and there is a, there's a we're going to do this a little different, this service, but there's a, there's a whole section in James that people like to quote that's that doubt is a sin, and it's a specific context. If you read James 1 on your own, which go for it, it's talking about when you ask for wisdom from God on a situation. Say you're struggling, I don't know what to do right now, God, that he promised that if you ask for wisdom on how to live life, supernatural wisdom, not like make you smarter before you take a test, but give me godly wisdom to know what to do in this, that he promises to answer that prayer. And it goes on to say, if you don't believe him, if you doubt in that, then, then you're like, you know, the wind and you're, you're double-minded and all these things. So some people take that and they twist it and say, well, doubting is wrong. All doubting is not wrong and not sin. We really believe um, that Scripture will teach us that there's a good doubt, there's a way to doubt towards God and a way to doubt away from God, right? So we, we want to doubt towards God, all right? So let me, let me talk about uh, doubt. If you think uh, Christian leaders at Relentless Church or any other church never struggle with doubts, like you're so far off. All right, here's a doubt that I'll share uh, that I've struggled with. And really in the pandemic, at the beginning of the pandemic, and it had nothing to do with the pandemic, but it just showed up in my heart and mind. And I, it's a doubt that I never really struggled with. And the doubt was very basic. The doubt was, is there, like, are we, are we building our whole church? Am I building my whole life on a, on, like, do I know? Like, is there really a God? Right? I don't mind to tell you that, right? I, I might have been hoping for some better doubt than that. Like, I struggled through that doubt, and it, it brought me closer to God, right? Because I understood that I'm not a bad person because I doubt. God really showed up in that doubt and gave me a firmer conviction of who he is and how he walked our church and our family and so many things through so many things. So you can doubt towards God, or you can definitely doubt away from God. But we got to understand this statement, the presence of doubt does not mean the absence of faith, right? So, so we, we beat ourselves up sometimes, right? Because I'm doubting, you know, we ask the question, what's wrong with me? Which we'll approach that in a second. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is unbelief, right? The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of, of faith is unbelief. Now, what's the difference between doubt and unbelief? I'm so glad you asked that. I love it when you ask a question that the next slide's about to answer. I love it when that works like that. What's the difference between doubt and unbelief? Doubt is I'm hesitant. I'm struggling to trust in this moment. I'm, I'm struggling to trust you. Unbelief is I do not and I will not trust you. Those are different things. And you got to get in touch with your own heart and your own mind. Are you struggling with doubt? Or are you struggling with unbelief? God can handle both. and He'll meet you in both. Uh, we got to be careful with unbelief because there's a difference between saying, that's hard for me to believe. For Mary, like, I'm a virgin. You're telling me I'm going to have a child. That's, that's a hard one, God. you got to help me out how that works. That's different than, oh, that, that can't happen. There's no way, right? And I, I've had, been blessed to have hundreds probably of conversations with self-described agnostics, atheists, skeptics, whatever, through, and, and most of them have this, they like to see themselves as open-minded, but a lot of times, not always, there's a lot of closed-mindedness in, in some sort of statement like, I would never or I could never believe in a God who fill in the blank, 
a God that does this or thinks this or doesn't do this. I can never believe in that kind of God. Think about that. It's the height of arrogance. I am a created human, and if there is a God, if he doesn't agree with me, then he must be wrong. Right? And we all do that in our own way. We, we try to make God in our own image. He made us in his image, but we can't. If, if your God never disagrees with you, then he's probably not real. Right? The real God is not going to agree with all of us 100% because he's God and we're, we're not. So try to get in touch with your own skepticism. It's okay. But there's a difference between I have a hard time believing that and I will not believe that. And I think when we have doubts, and you're going to have them, so just they're going to, it's part of the life. When we have them, I think as Christians, a lot of times we feel guilty, right? We had a, we had a conversation in staff meeting Monday just about doubt. And when I count it up, I think our staff has been following Jesus collectively for 100 years, which means several things. It means we're old, right? And one of us, one of us is older today than he was yesterday, but I don't want to call him out. He plays guitar. Um, but it's, it's Seth's birthday, so give him, give him something after church. Um, or clap for him, whatever you want. Or not clap for him, okay? Um, and we, we've started, so... And we're not better than anybody, but we're following Jesus. We're seeking Jesus. And there's plenty of doubt stories in our staff. So if that makes some of you feel better, if that surprises some of you, it really, it really shouldn't. But what, what the commonality is among our doubt is the, the reality. Uh, when we doubt, we, we ask the question, oh, what's wrong with me? What's going on in me? What's wrong with me that I'm doubting? That's the wrong question. So God wants us to move our response away from what's wrong with me and two, what do you want to do in me, right? So when I was questioning, like, God, how sure, are we building all this on a firm foundation? Are we sure that we're sure? Because I'm telling people, like, this is a crazy time in life and world. I got and, and I did know, but then I just got, I don't even know where it came from. And God worked, he met me in that doubt. He grew my faith in that doubt. And he will do the same for you. But if, you're, if you start to have some doubts and your instinct is, oh, no, what's wrong with me? I got to hide this doubt from God, like the kid who has the cookie, and he doesn't know. We all know what's behind your back, Junior, right? You know, that, don't be that way with God. He wants to take your doubt. What do you guys think of when you hear the letters DFW? Dallas-Fort Worth. That's right answer, right? It's an airport traveler, right? So we're going to change that. So if you never heard of DFW, for the rest of your life, I want you to think of these three words, doubt, fear, worry. All right, I've learned um, uh, to do something with those, right? When I give you these little cute phrases, and so it's not... I don't get, you know, it's to help you. This has helped me. My coach, Dean Troon, my spiritual coach and father, um, who's in Arizona, uh, I was asking him about this a, a while back, and he told me, he's like, I pray against doubt, fear, and worry every day in my life. I was like, every day? I was like, I don't know what life's like in Arizona. I don't think I have enough time to pray every day about all my doubts, all my fears, and worries. I said, what does that look like? So he told me, he said, it's part of my journaling process. It's really important for me to put on paper or on a screen or to verbalize to God, what am I doubting right now? What am I scared of right now? What am I worried about right now? Right? So I've started to do that. And it's been powerful in my life. It's not a trick. It's just, it's something amazing about putting it out there. Right? And I'm sure there's some, some counseling behind that. You, Raph tells me that I'm doing counseling. I don't know it's counseling. It's scientific. Um, but there, there is power in naming doubts and fears and worries. And if we were to put every doubt, fear, and worry in this room on a post-it note, I can't imagine, right? It's going to fill the room easily, and that's okay. 
if we know to ask, not what's wrong with us. Why are we doubting? God's done so much. That's not the question. The question is, what do you want to do in this doubt? It's a much better question. And, and we can see in Zechariah and Mary both, the Christmas story still happened. Their doubts didn't mess up anything. Let's go back and see. So we'll go back to verse 18 where Zechariah, is where we left off. He said, how can I be sure? I'm an old man and my wife, well, you know, she's well along in years. Here's what the angel said. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now, you, this is not good news. Now you will be silent and you're not going to be able to speak until the day this happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Zechariah gets punished. He says, your wife is going to get pregnant. She's still going to get pregnant, even though you doubted. But guess what? Until the baby shows up, you're not going to be able to talk, right? Which there's a group of, there's a movement among pregnant women that this should be universal. This should just be a rule, right? That, that men should just have to be quiet until the baby shows up. But um, God was working in that. So, so Zechariah uh, doubted. And then look what, verse 23. When the time of service was completed, his priestly stuff, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. We got a lot of pregnancy stuff today. So um, evidently, he said, how can this be? I'm old and she's well advanced in years. But then he did what was necessary to create pregnancy, right? So his doubt was there, but he still took action. That's the important thing. And, and everything happened and John was born. All right, let's go. Our doubts don't stop the miracle. Even if you're doubting something about God in your life or the big picture or the Bible, that doesn't stop God from doing the miracle that he wants to do. Let's go to Mary. We left off in verse 34. She said, how will this be since I am a virgin? Here was the angel's answer. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, it's her cousin, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in, already in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And what was Mary's reaction? Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Well, wait a second. Is that unfair? My man questioned the angel, and he got shut down. He couldn't talk for nine months. Mary said, how's this going to work? And she got, you know, she got to sing a song right after this in Luke 1. Uh, she's been applauded ever since. They both asked a question, but God responded very differently. Why? It's the posture of their heart. And here's the hard part about what I get to do each week. I'm so excited to be in front of you in this series and what God's doing in this room, in this moment right now. But what I don't know is the thoughts of your heart. I don't know the posture of your heart, but God does. Isn't that crazy? It's a God who knows the posture, what you're really about. And if you really drill down, there is a difference in Zachariah and Mary. Remember how he was like, how can I be sure of this? He was very focused on himself. Um, and he basically was saying, I know how old I am. I know how well advanced she is. That can't ha That's impossible. So that's why he got silenced. Now, the baby still came, and it was a, a John the Baptist, and we've heard of him, but it, di it didn't stop God's plans. But he was punished because he was saying, I know you're an angel. And because remember Gabriel's words, he's like, what do you mean, how can you be sure? I hang out with God. I came here to tell you. That's how you can be sure. I'm here, an angel, telling you what's going to happen. And he said, it's impossible. Mary wasn't saying it's impossible. Mary was saying, God, I need some help with this one. I don't, virgins don't get pregnant. I don't, I don't understand. And God did not punish her. He, he uplifted her, right? So what is the posture of your heart? 
Like, it, it just, people don't raise from the dead. It can't be. Well, if God created life and death, then he can defeat death. It can be. Is that impossible? Or is that, I need some help. I, I need some faith. He'll meet you wherever you are. He can handle, this is so good. He can handle the, the, the doubts and the questions in this room. He can handle, that's a lot. Like, I don't know all of you, but I gotta believe there's some serious questions about God and doubts about him, his church, the people of God, pastors of God. There's a lot of church hurt. Who knows? Only God knows all that we bring into this room about him. And he can handle all that. He's not scared of it. He's not. And here's, here's what I believe. Nothing is more powerful in this world. Right? That's, a, that's a strong start of a sentence. Nothing is more powerful in this world than someone choosing to trust God in the middle of their doubt. Trusting God is good and nothing about this season or my circumstances make me feel good about God. Nothing. It feels very unfair, but yet I'm going to trust him in the middle of my doubt. Nothing is more powerful than that. We think we control things we don't control. The older I get, that's the lesson. We just control almost nothing about this life. You know what we do control? We control who we trust. And sometimes, you know, should you trust people? The answer is sometimes, some people, some others, you shouldn't trust. God doesn't want you to trust them because of what that's going to do to your heart and the pain that's going to cause. But you never have to worry about God rejecting you or hurting you when you trust him. That's, that's in your control, whether you're willing to trust him with your life and make decisions in this life about uh, everything based on who God is and who he says you are. And he'll meet you. If you come with a humble heart with no demands, remembering he's God and you're not, and just say, I want to live the life you designed me to live, Whatever that is in this stage of life, whatever age, I want to live the life that you created me to live. He will meet you in that, and it's a beautiful prayer to pray. Let's go back to uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Here's what happened, verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they're going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no with exclamation, no, he is to be called John, right? And then verse 61, I put by itself, because the, the whole family, you ever been there when a kid's getting named? They said, there's nobody among our people who has that name, right? And I just felt like this was a beautiful verse 61 that I need to warn some of you of, because the, the age uh, of our church, uh, I'm so glad that we're getting younger, but we're also getting older at the same time. Some of you are grandparents, or that's the next season of your life, you're going to be grandparents, and I see this happening all the time. Because this next generation, I'm not trying to make anybody mad, but I am picking on you, that what you're naming your kids, you know they're going to be called that the rest of their lives, right? And people say, oh, they're so creative. They're not creative. They're, they're, they're lazy. They're just looking out the window, they're naming our kids Meadow and Birch and Stream and Pinecone and all this stuff. Like, what are you doing? And grandparents, when, you, when your kids, they're so excited, they're going to come to you, hey, mom, dad, my wife or I'm pregnant, Right? Here's what you're going to say. There ain't nobody among your relatives with that name, right? When they tell you what they're going to name the kid, you just quote the Bible to them. There's nobody in our family named that. That's what, they were, that's what was going on. Like, why would you name him John? We don't got no Johns. Let's name him after. So then they go to verse 62. They go to Zechariah. They, they make signs because he can't talk to find out what he wants to name the child. Like, Zechariah, right? And he asked for a, an iPad. No, he asked for a writing tablet and... He asked for a writing tablet, and everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. 
All the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, and they asked this question, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. What is this child going to be? He was going to be John the Baptist that paved the way for the Jesus that, that came as a baby and grew into a man and spilled his blood so we would have hope and that we could have the gospel that we say here that we're rescued and adopted by God through Jesus. So how do you respond to this good news of the gospel? We hope that you respond by desiring a relationship. We talk all the time about relationship over religion. We're anti-religion here, right? We're pro-relationship. We, we always say, we don't want you to believe something. We want you to know somebody. It's a much better thing to offer is a relationship with someone versus, hey, believe what we believe. Relationship builds faith. Religion often builds knowledge, right? Relationship builds faith. Religion builds knowledge and puffs you up and and religion, there's no room for doubt in religion because you're not in the tribe. If you have questions, all that, we're, we don't ask questions here, right? If you're the kid, some of you remember, a few of you remember Sunday school. If you're the kid that drove the teacher nuts because you were asking the hard questions, right? If you were taught, like, that's not what we do here, that's of Jesus. He likes skeptics and questioners. He will work in that. You can doubt towards God or you can doubt away from God. Relationship is the best weapon against doubt. Right? Because you know somebody, and that's why you trust them. Right? I mentioned Raph, our associate pastor, one of our associate pastors earlier. If, if you come to me after church and say, I got a problem with Raph. Like, I just, like, you got a problem with Raph? Like, nobody has a problem. Everybody likes Raph. Like, do you know him? You need to get to know him. The more you get to know him, the more you'll like him. He's not perfect. He's a Patriots fan. But, you know, the more you get to know, you, just, you don't know him well. If you don't like him, you don't know him. Now, does he have bad days? Sure. Raph's a really nice guy, even on his bad days. But I don't have to have that concern. If you have doubts about God, you got to get to, the more you get to know the one who created you, the better he is. He will not let you down. We put our whole lives on the truth of who he is. Some of you know, right? Some of you have a relationship. That is the best thing for doubt, right? The more I know him, the more I don't let my circumstances dictate, you know, my faith. Because I know God. I know how good he is. And he's come through so many times. And some of you don't say that you doubt God. You're smart. You say, I, I would never doubt God. I doubt me. I don't doubt God. I'm the problem. I just struggle. I just this. And it sounds nice, right? I don't doubt God. I doubt me. It's not, it's not nice from God's perspective because what you're actually saying is you can't handle me and my stuff. Yes, Jesus died on a cross for all the stuff, but my stuff is more than you can handle. Like, you, yes, maybe you raised from the dead. Maybe you made a virgin pregnant. You did all that stuff. But what I'm carrying, you can't do that. What you're doubting is his ability to transform your life. You're doubting God's ability to transform you. you some of us think we're the first ones that have ever lived that, that God's saying, I don't know what to do with you. Uh, yeah, you are a mess. And I, I don't know. Like that you, You're doubting stuff that you shouldn't be. Yeah, you just need to go off. We need to send you away somewhere and then come back and I'll talk to you then. That's not God. God's like, no, come now. Come with your doubts. Come with your questions. Come with your fear. Come with your worry and give it to me because I'm the only one that knows what to do with it. I'm the only one that can change your doubts into faith. I want to transform you. Don't doubt God's ability to transform you from where you are to where you might be. The strongest testimonies in this church 
are the ones that said, you know, if you knew me 10 years ago, I didn't believe any of this stuff. I was the guy who crossed my arms. I never opened my mouth and I would never sing a song. That's who I was. And then the gospel found me and I started to believe that God knew my name and he changed me. He changed my house. He changed my outlook on life. He changed me as an employee because of what? Because of relationship. Before I knew religion, but I didn't have a relationship with Jesus and it's changed my life. It's all through this room. It's all through this church. It's all through our city, right? We're not the only Christians. We're trying to build a movement on people with a relationship with Jesus. That's the game changer. And we got, we got no reason to lie about that. What I'm going to do, I don't know what you're going to do when you leave here. Probably the only one in the room is going to do what I'm going to do when I leave here. It's become my Sunday routine. After the 11 o'clock service, after, you know, not right after, after everybody goes, I, I go uh, cold plunge. You heard of this? Where you voluntarily put yourself in freezing cold water. Um, and, and I preached a series on anxiety way back, and there was a guy in our church that came up and said, let me tell you what's really helped me, cold plunge. I'm like, glad it's helped you, brother. <laughs> but I hate being cold. That doesn't, make any, that doesn't even make any sense. How's that help anxiety? So I read about it, listened to podcasts about it. Athletes have been doing it forever. It's got all kinds of benefits that are scientific. And he said he, he's got a business real close to here, and he's been good to me. And I can't tell you too much because... Now he gave me a key, and he's not giving everybody a key if you want a cold plunge. But I got a key. I can cold plunge anytime I want. It's amazing. It's a gift. So I went over there the first time, and I made it two minutes, my first cold plunge, 43-degree water. He's got a whole system that cools it, 43-degree water. And I got out, and I thought, man, I don't feel better at all. I'm never doing this again, right? And then I did some more reading and talked to my neurosurgeon, some other stuff, and like, you know, it's safe. You know, I wouldn't put your head under after a stroke. But, yeah, it's, it should be fine. So I tried it the second time, and I felt a little different. And now, on a good week, I'm cold plunging for four or five minutes on Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. And, and you think, well, do you get a, do you get a commission for saying that? Because I haven't talked from stage a ton about it. And I was telling some people about it the other day, and somebody who knows me said, but do you really think it's helped you? I'm like, what, what's my incentive to, why would, I don't want anybody getting in a cold, like, why would I lie? What is my incentive to, I'm telling you, it's helped me. Does that mean it's going to help you? I don't know, but I'm telling you, it has helped me with anxiety. It's helped me feel better in all kinds of ways. And here's what I know. Here's what I know. I often had headaches, sometimes bad headaches. The most likely time to have a headache was Sunday afternoon, not because of the Panthers, but because just after church, a lot of times that Sunday afternoon headache, that was normal for me. You know how many headaches I've had on Sunday afternoon on days that I've cold plunged after second service? Zero. That's six months in. Zero. I don't know. I don't, you listen, do your own research. I'm not, the goal today is not to get anybody to cold plunge. The goal is to trust God. When you have a relationship with him, you come to this place. You, I, you can't argue with what God's doing. I'm different. He's changing me. I'm not done, but he's different day by day. And he's okay with my doubts. And he's actually used my doubts. I was the biggest skeptic of cold plunge. That sounds like, you know, I used to make fun of essential oils. Sorry. Right? It, that just sounds like another thing, right? Cold plunge, it makes you sure it does. I, was, I didn't believe it was going to work for me as I was doing it. And even today, even though I'm on record now, I'll go over there, and every Sunday as I'm walking over there, I'm like, don't do this. This is so dumb. You're gonna, it's going to be freezing cold again. The first 30 seconds, I'm like, this is the stupidest thing. Why would I voluntarily, why am I here? About a minute in, you know, I start my routine. I'm like, okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. Every Sunday I get out, I'm just glad I did that. That's how sure we are that the God who made you, if you could get a taste of a relationship with Jesus, and if some of you aren't there because you think, I can't come to Jesus because i got doubts behind my back. And he's like, don't worry about it. I know your doubts. I sent Jesus because I knew you would never get to me on your own. 
So I made a way for you to come to me with all your stuff, with all your sin, with all your doubts, with all of it. Bring it. And that's why Christmas is for all. Let me pray. Father, thank you for being that kind of father to us, that we don't have to hide. God, if there's secret addiction in this room, that we don't have to hide it, that you can meet us right there, that if there's doubts and fears and worries, and I know there are, that we would learn to bring them to you and watch what you do with them. God, we just thank you for being able to handle all of our stuff. We thank you for sending Jesus to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. I pray you would speak to each person in this room and they would know what they're supposed to do uh, with this message that we can um, go from here trusting you to live the lives you've called us to live. In Jesus' name we pray and go. Amen. Keep pounding now.